Okay, we'd like to welcome you to our current event and weekly Bible study for January 20th, 2008. And today we're going to do a, I guess you'd call it an expose on Joel Olstein. We'll entitle this Joel Olstein Exposed. And we're going to be taking a look at this person today. And I won't call him a pastor because I don't believe he's biblically qualified in the least. First thing I'll read is a quote from Tex Mars in regard to Joel Olstein which kind of sets the tone for the rest of the message. Text goes on to say, As an aging Robert Schuller, Billy Graham, Pat Robertson, Jerry Falwell, and Paul Crouch are being retired and shown the door, a spanking brand new generation of ministers and evangelists are being ushered in by the devil to take their place. And that's important to understand, that, is that this is something that the Lord's allowing. It's part of the strong delusion that God clearly predicted he would send, but he's allowing the devil to implement this um, into place. The new preachers, men like California, California's pastor Rick Warren, The Purpose Driven Life, and Texan Joel Olstein, who wrote the book Your Best Life Now, are flashy, shiny, and smiley. They use positive talk, make people feel good, to get them thinking about me, 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 which is, you know you think about it, what is that? That's self-centeredness. Self-centeredness is essentially the root of every sin that's pretty much ever been committed, just about. The Rick Warrens and the Joel Olsteins invade topics like sin, judgment, hell, and condemnation. They trumpet the new gospel, that God is always good, and that he has a sachet full of cash, he's just dying to give out to every believer. If only they'll think good thoughts. Now this is the same... Uh, concept that we hear with uh, Oprah Winfrey and The Secret, where that's New Age, name it and claim it. This is permeated, and it has been permeated, particularly through the Word of Faith movement and the charismatic Pentecostal churches, and a lot of churches now, uh, more and more. And then it goes on to say, what about false religion? Islam, Judaism, Hinduism, witchcraft? Don't worry. God is working behind the scenes to get those people to heaven as well. And they don't need to be evangelized at all. Now this is what these false teachers are teaching. Quote, so long, so long, Christian missionaries, it's been good to know you, end of quote. Find your purpose, find prosperity, get greedy, stop barking, um, surround yourself with purple haze. The new generation of Christian leaders are here, and the watchdogs everywhere have simply gone to sleep. And that's probably the primary reason for this ministry existing, is to act as a watchdog, as a watchman, and to warn about these things. Now, the Bible says in 2 Peter 2, 1, But there were false prophets also among the people, teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that brought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. Now, we're going to see if Joel Osteen's done anything to actually deny the Lord that actually paid his sin debt. And we're going to see there's ample proof out of his own mouth that this is absolutely crystal clear. In fact, he pretty much, you know, it's a consistent thing with him. Now the Bible also says in Matthew 12:37, For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. So we're going to see, and that, that, that applies to everybody. That doesn't just apply to Joel Osteen. It applies as much to me as it would anyone else. So I don't want to act as though I think I'm better. It's just that we're going to look at the fruit of this ministry and see if it measures up to the Bible. This first uh, part of this talk is an excerpt from uh, a article titled, Joel Olstein, False Prophet. Joel, yeah, the False Prophet. And it's by a guy named Dr. Terry Watkins. 
Matthew uh, 7.15 reads, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Now that verse particularly applies to somebody like Joel Osteen. It's probably about the most appropriate verse I would say today in regard to him because he comes as this nice, real, gentle, meek preacher in sheep's clothing. But we're going to see if inwardly he's really a ravening wolf. We're going to, we're going to look at that closer. The latest star among the Christian world is Joel Olstein, pastor of a non-denominational Lakewood church in Houston, Texas. Olstein claims the largest congregation of over 30,000 members. Lakewood recently purchased the Colossal Compact Center, formerly the home of the NBA's Houston Rockets, which is a, a professional basketball team. He purchased essentially that, um, that whole stadium there. After a whopping 900 or $95 million in renovations. The Compact Center now houses Olstein's empire called Lakewood Church. $95 million just in renovations after they purchased this, basically, the stadium. And if you've ever seen it on TV, you know, it's a real thing of beauty. He's got his big globe spinning in the back. I was kid about that we're, we're trying to save up enough money to get a globe so it can spin behind my back. Um, just kidding, though. Uh, and... He's got this big stadium. I, I, they showed a picture the other day where it showed the elevators going up and down in the church. And they've got all kind of things in there, all kind of amenities that, that you know, they try to accommodate their people with. And it's, it's something else. But $95 million in, re, in renovations just on the, on the church. Now, there's no New Testament precedent at all for going and building some type of edifice like that to house your church in. There's no there's no New Testament precedent for that whatsoever. And by him doing this, that alone, you know, tells us that he's off track there. Olsten continually sells out huge arenas at $10 a ticket across the country. On eBay, Olsten's tickets go for over $100. So, people are really clamoring to see this guy. Uh, it's, it's the, as we're going to see, it's the feel-good gospel but it's a whole other level to the feel-good gospel. And people will clamor to go hear somebody like that, to get their ears tickled, to not hear about sin or conviction or judgment or hell and these types of things, because that appeals to their flesh. So if they can have a pastor like that, people will pay big bucks to go hear this type of guy. And, and Doug brought up a good point. Is can, can you imagine Jesus if he was, you know, like when he fed the, the 5,000 you know, people and the loaves and the fishes and these types of things. And could you imagine him going to the crowd up front and saying, "Well, we've got a we've got a ten dollar cover fee before I can perform this miracle, this type of thing, or before you can sit down with me?" Didn't happen. Now their response would be, "Yeah, well, Jesus didn't have a multi million dollar ministry." Well, yeah, and Jesus is our example. And <laughs> there's no again, there's no New Testament precedent for doing these things. You know, tell that to the apostles. They didn't have that either. Tell that to the martyrs. They didn't have that either. But in today's lukewarm apostate age, before the Antichrist makes his return, pretty much anything goes. Uh, let's see. New York Times in July, of, July 18, 2005 reports Lakewood's 2004 revenue being at $55 million. Olstein's book of human potential, self-esteem, feel-good, and self-help guide titled your best life now, seven steps to living at your full potential, ranks number one 
in the prestigious New York Times bestseller list. At the time it did. WXYZ.com writes of Olstein's enormous popularity, quote, in the world of religion, he's achieved the status of a rock star. Always a good thing to compare yourself to. Clearly, Mr. Olstein covered the coveted, wears the coveted crown prince of the Christian kingdom. Olstein's message is described as simple, self-help messages that congregants say is both uplifting and accessible. End of quote. Olstein proudly wears the title of the smiling preacher. His theology has been described as cotton candy theology. Tastes good, but there's no substance. And that's about as good of a, of a definition there as I've heard. Now, there's a couple Bible verses that I think apply to this before we get started here. Isaiah 66, verse 3 and 4. Isaiah 66, verse 3 and 4 says, Yea, they have chosen their own ways, and their soul delighteth in their abomination. See, this is an abomination to God. But see, their soul delighteth in it. These people that are his followers, Joelson himself, his you know entourage of the ministry, but they see they delight in these things. And then God goes on to say, I will also choose their delusions. See, this is in confirmation of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, where God says He would stand the strong delusion that they would believe a lie, that they might all be damned to receive not the love of the truth. Right here we have another confirmation in Isaiah 66, where it says, God will choose their delusions. It's kind of like, God's letting them get away with it for a time. It's like he's letting them get up to their little mountaintops. And when they get way up high and, and they think that they've got everything figured out, God's going to kick the slats out from underneath them and it's all going to come tumbling down. Now the higher you are, if you've built yourself up to this big high and lofty status, the higher you are, the farther you fall. So when this happens, when this goes down, the Bible says judgment must begin at the house of the Lord. And... Um, it's going to be, it's going to get pretty ugly when it happens. So it says, God, God says, I will choose their delusions and will bring their fears upon them. Because when I called, none did answer. And when I spake, they did not hear. But they did evil before mine eyes and chose that which in I delighted not. That's exactly what's going on in the churches. God's, God's tried to speak to them, but they didn't answer. They hardened their hearts. They didn't hear. And they did evil before God's eyes. Okay, so Jeremiah 5.26-31. Jeremiah 5.26-31. This verse, these verses read, For among my people are found wicked men. They lay wait as he that set a snares. They set a trap, they catch men. As a cage is full of birds, so are the houses full of deceit. And this is a very appropriate example for Joel Osteen and a host of others that are out there. Notice it says, for among my people, people that call themselves Christians, are found wicked men. And they, they lay wait, they set snares, they set a trap. And that's exactly what is happening to these people. It's done in a very nice, subtle way. Just like when Satan came to Eve in the Garden of Eden, he did it in a very seemingly subtle way question the word of God, which is what they all do. And ultimately, they're trying to deceive these people. So are the houses full of deceit. Therefore, they are become great and waxen rich. Now it says right here, 
that these people, these wicked men, become great and wax rich, meaning grow rich. And this is, I mean, Joe Olstein's the quintessential essence of that. So people, when, when you hear people say, well, if God wasn't in the ministry, wouldn't it be blessing it? No, that's not biblical, number one. Because, again, there's no New Testament precedent for anybody walking around with multi-million dollar ministries, or even after that. We're going we're gonna to look at what the Bible says in regard to true believers and these types of things in a little bit. But he said, it says right here, they are become great and wax through, so it shouldn't be of any surprise. But see, people will turn that the other way because they want to throw their own opinion in it. Because their heart tells them, well, if God you know, wasn't in this thing, he wouldn't be blessing it. And that's, you know, they're letting their heart deceive them. And the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And then it goes on to say, they are wax and fat, yea, they shine. They overpass the deeds of the wicked. They judge not the cause. We're going to see if Joel overpasses the deeds of the wicked. We're going, to, we're going to look at that later. They judge not the cause. We're going to see if Olstein judges anything. Because he doesn't judge any cause. And the cause of the fatherless. Yet they prosper. Here's another confirmation. And the right of the needy do they not judge. Shall I not visit for these things, saith the Lord? Shall not my soul be avenged on such a nation as this? Well, this is going on all over this nation. And judgment is eminent as a result of it. A wonderful and horrible thing is committed in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests bear rule by their means. Where would you see the prophets prophesying falsely? We'll just go into a charismatic or Pentecostal, or one of these, you know, offshoot churches. You'll see a lot of that. I got all kind of prophecies that were, you know, that I've heard over the years that, that um, some of them to myself, a lot of them, them, like with these big televangelists, they don't come to pass. Well, that's a false prophet. According to Deuteronomy 18, that's a false prophet. Back then, the penalty was death. And then it goes on to say, And the priests bear rule by their means. Not by God's means, but by their own. And my people love to have it so. See, God's letting them have it their way for a time. But it's only for a time. Sin is pleasurable for a season. And then he goes, and, and then it ends by saying, what will you do in the end thereof? Let's go back to the article now. Before we examine Oldstein's disturbing theology, let us lay some groundwork for our critique. Today's Christians have not been spiritually, have been spiritually malnourished with a steady and unrelenting diet of, quote, judge not, let that ye be judged. End of quote. Tolerant, inclusive, junk food doctrine until they are completely void of any spiritual discernment. That's exactly what happens. If you put junk in your body, don't expect to get a positive effect. Happens that way with food. I tell my patients, you know, if you're putting 57 octane fuel in your tank, your car's not going to run right. Well, if you're doing, if you're going to one of these churches, if you're reading some perverted Bible version, if you're, if you're in the world, if you're doing all these things that corrupt our own spirits, essentially... Don't expect to be spiritual. Don't expect to be right with God. Don't expect to have discernment. Because it can't, they can't coexist. And then he goes on to say, May I remind you in Matthew 7 where the popular judge not 
that ye be judged mantra occurs contains the harshest warning in the Bible exposing false prophets and exercising personal spiritual discernment. That, that is in reference to hypocritical judgment. When you're looking at the speck in your brother's eye and you have a beam in your own. That's when you judge not lest ye be judged. Let's look at the context of the verse. But the Bible also says, He who is spiritual judgeth all things. If we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged of God. Do you know the Bible said that in the New Testament? That's something we should strive to do every day. I mean, I find comfort in that verse. If we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged of God. Not to say we're not going to have to stand you know, at the judgment seat of Christ as a born-again believer. But if you would continually judge yourself every day, do you know how much less severe the judgment seat of Christ would most likely be? He was spiritual, judgeth all things. Judge not according to appearance, but judge righteous judgment. Jesus said those words himself. So if we go further, the Lord Jesus Christ said in Matthew 7, 21-23, um, that particular portion of scripture provides the most enlightening and frightening warning found in all the scriptures. Many people have openly called Jesus Lord, Lord, and many have prophesied in his name, and many has, have supposedly cast out devils, and in the name of Jesus Christ perform many wonderful, not hateful, but nice, sweet works. Jesus then says to them, I never knew you. They were never saved. If they were ever saved, Jesus could not say, I never knew you. That's true. That's a good point to remember about that verse. He never knew them. He didn't say, well, you were saved back in 72, and then you... No, he said, I never knew you. Never. These people were never saved. Despite their many wonderful works in the name of Jesus, despite calling him Lord, Lord, Jesus Christ will cast them into eternal lake of fire, calling them ye that work iniquity. Now, I'm just going to read the first part of that. Matthew 7, thir uh, 13, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be that go thereat. If you're in a church, like Joel Olstein's, and there's 30,000 other people in that congregation, and you're there in the name of Jesus Christ, or whatever you say you are, and you're going to church, you're in a wide place. God doesn't typically work that way. Remember, it says in the next verse, Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leads unto life, and few there be that find it. You're not going to find it in Joel Olstein's church, or Rick Warren's church, or Willow Creek, or up on TBN. You're not going to find it. You're going to find the leavened Broadway there, typically. I'm not saying it's impossible to ever hear any good preaching any other way. The problem is, is it's not so much many times what they say, it's what they don't say. It's what they're not warning you of. It's that they take no stand on biblical issues um, of morality, on the word of God, on the 501c3 incorporation of all these churches, of the churches yoking themselves up with the government. All these unbiblical things they're doing that they stand silent about. They don't ever say anything about it, because they're part of the problem. So they're not going to say anything about it. And then it says in verse 15, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. And again, we had already read that, but this is what we're dealing about here today. Now notice the first warning regarding this wide gate we were, that we just read about in verse 13. The first warning is about false prophets. 
Well, maybe the false prophets are the ones leading you through the wide gate, like Joe Olstein, which come to you in sheep's clothing, which couldn't be a more apropos description of Joe Olstein. But inwardly, they are ravening wolves. Oh, not, not Joel Osteen. Do you understand, we're going to talk about this later, that because of the theology that he's putting out, and we're going to, we're going to see, these are words out of his own mouth. I'm not making this stuff up. We're going to look at transcripts of him on Larry King and Mike Wallace. We're going to look at you know excerpts from his writings and these types of things. By the words thou shalt be justified, by the words thou shalt also be condemned. We're going to look at what he's saying. What is he doing ultimately? What is the ultimate outcome if you follow Joel Olstein? Hell and then the lake of fire. Burning forever and ever and ever for all eternity. That is the ultimate goal of the devils that emanate and operate through ministries like Joel Olstein's and all the other ones that would fall into this category. It's that serious. So when I do these exposés, it's not because I want to have you know, one-upsmanship, and I'm better, and all that. I, I, that's irrelevant. That shouldn't be any of our goals anyway. The Bible says, like John the Baptist said, I must decrease, and he must increase. That should be our goal. It's for, it's for Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, inside us to increase. And for our flesh to decrease. The ultimate goal of these ministries is to get you into hell. Because God's not in them. God is not in them. The Lord Jesus Christ is not in these ministries. And it's going to be, that's going to be apparent enough when we get done here. Matthew 7, as well as there's many other scriptures, scriptures, is an earth-shaking wake-up call for prayerful Bible discernment. If we as Christians do not shine the exposing light of the Word of God upon preachers, which is what I'm trying to attempt to do every single week, we're trying to shine the bright light of the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit, on the works of darkness. To reprove the works of darkness and to have no fellowship with them. The Bible says we're supposed to do this. To earnestly contend for the faith. To mark them which cause division and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned. And avoid them. We want to avoid people like Joel Osteen. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. That means their own flesh, their own desires. And by good words and fair speeches, deceive the hearts of the simple. And he's the master of this. Good words and fair speeches. They're deceiving the hearts of the simple. That's what's happening here. So if we go back to the article, um, Christians or anyone else, Christians or anyone and everyone, how can we possibly obey the clear admonition of our Lord and Savior in Matthew 7.15, which is the beware of the false prophets which come in your sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Um, how can we do this if we do not judge? Who are the false prophets? How is that possible? It's not. We have to judge constantly in our life. It's the hypocritical judgment we want to stay away from. Because if you're a hypocrite and you're judging other people, eventually, well, you're already blind to begin with. But if you stay in that mode, you're just going to become more blind. And that's pride. That's his pride as well. That's You can mix that in there. How in the world can we even know who are these false prophets? They, they appear as sheep or saved people, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Well, there's only one, one way, the unchangeable, perfect word of God. 
there's a very, in other words, comparing it with what the Word of God says. By their fruits you shall know them. There's a very serious and very deadly Christian belief perverting Christians that says, I can't judge them, I don't know their heart. And we're going to see, that's exactly what Joel Osteen says in these interviews, over and over. He also says, I don't know. He just keeps saying, I don't know, I don't know, over and over. It's so pathetic. Where do you hear these transcripts? The Lord Jesus Christ says in Matthew 5.19, But those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart, and they defile the man. So what comes out of the mouth is the heart. Okay? And what came out of the heart and mouth of Joel Olstein dur during a June 20, 2005 interview with Larry King literally sent shivers down my spine. As a Bible-believing researcher, I have researched many topics, many cultural issues, and many false prophets. But what I heard repeatedly from the mouth of Joel Olstein on Larry King clearly ranks as the most disturbing words publicly coming out of a mainstream accepted preacher, bar none. Now, this is, again, this is a guy named Dr. Terry Watkins wrote this article, Joel Stein, True or False. We're going to be quoting from excerpts from different uh, men of God that have talked about this particular subject. Before we view Olstein's troubling statements, let me also add, we are not frivolously sowing discord among the brethren. Which is a big one you'll hear. You know, if anything like this comes up in the churches, the first thing they'll, they'll say is, oh, you're causing division among the brethren. No, you're not. You're marking sin. That's what you're doing. You're doing, and again, we've already talked. You're approving the unfruitful works of darkness. You're marking them, which cause division and offenses. You're, you're, you're being spiritual. He was spiritual, judgeth all things. It's the hypocritical judgment. If you were doing the same thing Joel Olstein was doing, you would have no right to judge him. In other words, okay, that's the difference. If you look in the New Testament, this was one of the main concerns of Paul. When he went in his writings, that that you know, I know that after I leave, you know, there's going to come these ravening wolves and these types of things. He was always concerned about this. He said, I, "I continually warn you day and night with tears in regard to these things." So this was a really major concern of the New, New Testament writers, in particular, and it should be a big concern of ours, considering we're living in the most delusional time the world's ever known. We are not blindly straining at a gnat and swallowing a camel. Nor is any personal malice or contempt against Mr. Olstein intended. As Bible believers, we can disagree on certain doctrinal issues, but never the redemptive work in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. God forbid. God help us to never cease from exposing serious doctrinal errors, and make no mistake about it, several of Joel Olstein's statements on Larry King Live were very serious. The first alarming portrait of Olstein's heart deals with the most important subject in the Bible. The issue of salvation. Only through the redemptive blood of the Lord Jesus Christ at Calvary. Nothing is more important, nothing is more evident in the scriptures. The following scriptures, among many, loudly and boldly proclaim Jesus Christ as the one and only way of salvation. Without any room for misinterpretation or misunderstanding, the Bible makes this crystal clear. Other doctrines may have the opportunity for argument, but this is not one of them. John 14.6 says, Jesus saith unto them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Acts 4.12 Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby ye must be saved. 
John 3.36, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God abideth on him. 1 Timothy 2, 5 and 6. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. This is the verse you, you would give to a Catholic as well. Because the Catholics say, oh no, no, there's actually two mediators. Actually, the main mediator is Mary. They believe that. They believe that she's the, quote, co-redemptrix. You've got to go through Mary to get to Jesus because she's the mom, she's the only one that can placate her son. That's what they believe. It's even taught in their catechisms, the Baltimore Catechism. So, for there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all to be testified in due time. So, on Larry King Live, the following very disturbing conversation occurred with Larry King and Joel Olstein. Now, I'm going to read from another article. This is the full excerpt. Joel Olstein can't, can't tell you the gospel. He doesn't know who's going to hell either. That's the, the title of the uh, article. But it's really more of a transcript. I'm going to try to put this in a, um, try to get all this in like, like an email format. Uh, maybe I'll try to get this in a PDF format to have up on the uh, website so you can go check all this out for yourself. And a lot of people email me about certain issues and um, in regard to this they ask if I have a website. And the types of issues that I get into, the, I, I do have a website but it's on Sermons Audio. But with the types of issues I get into, um, I have chosen to use an email list to communicate to people. And so if you want to know about these types of current event issues, just email me and, I'll, and ask to be added onto my email list. I've got two email lists, a Christian-oriented end-time current events and a health-oriented, um, with which is what, you know, as an alternative healthcare practitioner, I get into those types of issues. So let me know which one you want me to add you on to. My email address is up on the website. So this starts out with uh, Larry King saying, Have you always believed? And then Olstein responds, I have always believed. I grew up, you know. Now, I, my first question is, believe in what? Santa Claus? Well, what are we believing in? We're not even defining the parameters here. So... And this is how this whole interview goes. This vague, circular, just unbelievably evasive maneuvers of, of Olstein that he's using. He says, I grew up, you know, my parents were good Christian people. They showed us love in the home. My parents were the same in the pulpit as they were at home. I think that's where a lot of preacher's kids get off base sometimes. Because they don't see the same things at both places. And I, I agree. I totally agree with that. No, that's one of the... Not to say I don't agree with everything he says, but there's so much that he says where there's so much leaven mixed in. That's the problem. And then he says, but I've always believed. Believed in what? Again, Joel. Always? You've always believed? There's got to be a time where you got saved. You know? You, did you just... Were you just like kind of born saved and you really never had to... You know, and he just always believed, I guess. I don't know what he's implying there. And then he says, I, thought, I saw it through my parents. And I just grew up believing. You saw it through your parents. So, did your parents save you? I just kind of wonder. That's kind of weird. I just grew up believing. That sounds like a cop-out to me. I mean, where where was the day, in, in, I mean, or the time, can you remember back to, <laughs> when you got saved? That seems very vague as well. 
Well, this man's not saved. He can't be saved because we're going to look at his fruit and we're going to understand that very quickly. And then Larry King says, but you're not fire and brimstone, right? In other words, he doesn't preach about hell. You're not, you're not pound the decks in hell and damnation. But you know what? The one thing about Larry King that you'll see in this is he's trying to bring this out. He's trying to... He does a lot to expose this man. And I don't, I'm not saying that he's trying to expose him because he's a good Christian. But he ends up doing that, which I'm glad he does. You know. And then Olsten's response to this fire and brimstone question is, No, that's not me. It's never been me. Wow, that's amazing. We're supposed to be followers of Jesus Christ, and he preached a lot more about hell than he ever did heaven. But that's never been Joel, because it's not in his heart. It's never been him. Well, he's never had the Holy Spirit living inside. He's never had that kind of conviction. He doesn't get up there and preach you're going to hell. He doesn't tell anybody they're going to hell. Because he doesn't care. He's a hireling. He's a wolf's in sheep he is a wolf in sheep's clothing. He's proving that. And then it says, I've always been an encourager at heart. And when I took over from my father, he came from a Southern Baptist background, and back 40 or 50 years ago, there was a lot more of that. In other words, more fire and brimstone. Well, they were more biblically correct back then. We're just, we're just totally backslidden from that point at this time. Not to say they were perfect then, but they was a lot better then than it is now as far as the apostasy goes. And then he goes on to say, but you know, I just, I don't believe in that. I don't believe maybe it was for a time. So in other words, the fire and brimstone hell preaching was just for a time. It's evidently not anymore. Well, hey, we need a new thing, guys. We, we, we have to have the, you know, this new age religion. How are they going to usher in the new age antichrist? They're not going to do it through fire and brimstone preaching. No way. So he says it just must have been for a time. And my first thought is Satan must be so proud of you, Joel. He really must be. And you know what? You really are just like your father the devil. And of his works ye will do, and of his works ye will say. That's very evident to me. So I guess hell's all frozen over. There's no need to worry about it, because it was just for that time period. According to Joel, this is why the Bible says, Thus saith the Lord, Cursed be the man that trusteth in man, and that maketh flesh his arm, and whose heart departeth from the Lord. See, when you follow Joel Osteen, you're going to put yourself under a curse. Cursed be the man that trusteth in man. But he's got a 30,000 you know, member congregation, all kind of people all over the world following him. Well, you're putting yourself under a curse according to God. Well, they probably don't believe in that either. Oh, there's no such thing as curses anymore. Hell's all frozen over and there's no such thing as curses. Well, the devil's more real today than he's probably just about ever been. And he goes about as a roaring lion seeking whom, may, whom he may devour. So, uh, that doesn't really hold up to the Bible, if you feel that way. So, if it goes further, it says, he says, Olstein, but I don't have it in my heart to condemn people. <laughs> yeah, he sure doesn't. And so much for them ever knowing they are sinners, bound for hell, apart from Jesus Christ, evidently. Because if you don't, if you don't let a person understand that they're a sinner, how are they going to think they're in need of a Savior? If, you, if they don't understand that because they're a sinner, they're bound for hell, how are they ever even going to have any conviction that they need Jesus Christ? Well, I'm basically a good person according to Brother Joel, Pastor Joel. Why do I need a Savior? I'm a good person. I do good things. 
I go to church, I give money to this great apostate ministry to build this gigantic abomination of an edifice, former NBA Houston Rocket Stadium here, and to build Joel's empire. Maybe they're going to be in Joel's army. Oh, sorry. Got off on the Pentecostal tangent there. Um, yeah, but he doesn't have it as hard to condemn people. Now, I'm not saying we go around condemning people in a hypocritical fashion. When I got saved, let's start with me. When I got saved, I had to realize I was a no-good sinner bound for hell. And that's all I ever deserved. So, okay, let's start there with me first. I'm not going around trying to condemn him or other people so I can feel all holy and feel good inside that they're going to hell and I'm not. No, that's not what the motivation is here. The motivation is you love them enough to tell them the truth. Because you don't want to see them go to hell. You give them the truth. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And then what's the logical conclusion beyond that? Romans 6.23 For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Remember, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. For we are all together as an unclean thing, and all of our righteousness are as filthy rags, and we all do together doth fade as doth a leaf. I believe Isaiah 64.6 So, these are things we have to have. Well, they'll say, well, yeah, but I'm not really a sinner. Oh, okay, you're not a sinner, right. So you've never had one... you never had one sinner. No, I don't, I've heard people say this. They have the audacity. That's pride. That's some serious pride. The Bible says, the thought of foolishness is sin. Do you know it said that in Proverbs? Just the very thought of foolishness. One foolish, goofy thought in your head is sin. Qualifies you as a sin. Now, we're born into sin. Okay, and in sin did my mother conceive me, and in, in iniquity doth I was shapen. That's what the psalmist said in Psalm 51, David. So, we all qualify for that. But see, Joel's preaching this false, feel-good gospel that doesn't convict you of that at all. That's the foundation of getting saved, if you think about it. I mean, you have to understand who you are first, in order to understand that you need a Savior. You're not going to get that at Lakewood. So he says, I'm there to encourage them. I see myself more as a coach. <laughs> we, we joked about this last week. I, I wanted to be called coach from now on. Coach, what was it, Coach Swami? Maybe? Some, we'll, we'll mix a new age term in with it. I don't know. Yeah, he wants to be a coach. Oh, no, it was Coach Pontiff. Yeah, okay. Anyway, a uh, little dry humor there. So... I see myself more as a coach. And again, why doesn't he come out there with the referee stripes and maybe a whistle? I think that would be a nice, good look for him. He could still pull it off. He says it's a motivator to help them experience the life God has for us. There's this trend among people. I've heard them call themselves, well, I'm a life coach. What an abomination. You know what the life coach should be? Your Bible. Your King James Bible. I've heard people say this, well, I'm a life coach, and, and people hire these people to come in and coach their life. These are people, every single time, that are unsaved, ungodly, they're not using the Bible, they're probably using psychology, and yet they want to get this wonderful result from something that can only really get them to hell. It's ridiculous. So, let's go further. Um... Larry King's response is, but don't you think if people don't believe as you believe, they're somehow condemned? He's trying to bring this out of him. He's, which, you know, is reasonable. As a Christian, shouldn't we take a stand 
Shouldn't we be able to give an answer for the hope that is within us, the hope of glory? Okay? Shouldn't we not be ashamed of the gospel of Christ if, you know, pose these questions? Well, he's trying to bring this out of him. I'm glad he's doing it, actually. Olstein says, you know, well, let's just read that again so this flows better. But don't you think if people, the king's saying this, but don't you think if people don't believe as you believe, they're somehow condemned? Olstein's response, you know, I think that happens in our society, but I try not to do that. I tell people all the time, preached a couple of Sundays about it, I'm for everybody. <laughs> He's for everybody. Yeah. You may not agree with me, but to me, it's not my job to try to straighten everybody out. The gospel is called the good news. My message is a message of hope. And that's God's message for you. You can live a good life no matter what's happened to you, and, and so I don't know. I know there's condemnation, but I don't feel that's my place. Well, it's really not. You're an apostate devil. You really shouldn't be going around condemning anybody. You're, you're kind of right there in a way, Joel. Because you got no right. You're going to hell, and you're leading all your followers to hell. Now, I'm not saying there couldn't be anybody in his congregation that's not going to heaven. I'm talking the vast majority. How could, if the Holy Spirit lived inside you, and the Bible says, whom the Lord loveth, he also chasteneth. And we're going to talk about this more later. How could that be? The Holy Spirit lives inside you and God chastens those he loves. And you're in this church or this type of church or in this type of ministry week after week, year after year, decade after decade, and you have no conviction to get out. How could you be saved? It just doesn't make any sense to me. It doesn't make any sense. Now, I'm not God. But it sure doesn't make sense to me. But he says, I don't feel that's my place as far as the condemnation. Well, that's because he's a reprobate hireling. And he has no true love for the sheep. Because if he had true love for the sheep, he would feed the sheep. He would feed the flock. Isn't that what Jesus said for Peter to go do? Well, he doesn't have any true love for the sheep. He could care less. He wants to be loved among above all men. He wants to be liked. Even by the secular world. He wants to be highly esteemed. Which he is. He's highly esteemed even in the secular world. Just like Billy Graham and all the others. But the Bible says that. Jesus said. That which is highly esteemed among men. Is an abomination in the sight of God. Jesus said he was rejected of all men. Essentially everybody. The apostles. Essentially all died martyrs death. Uh, save John. Died on the Isle of Patmos. You have all the martyrs. They don't sound like they were really highly esteemed among men. And I'm talking about the world. So if we go further. Let's see here. I've got so many notes on this one. Because there's so many. So there's so much to say about this. Um, so he says. I know there's a condemnation. I don't feel that's my place. This is Olstein. Now King says. You've been criticized for that. Haven't you? Olstein. I have. I have. Because I don't know. That's his response. <laughs> he says, I don't know more than you can believe. Okay, This guy doesn't know anything. I just, I don't understand this. It, it, it's just, to me, it just boggles the mind. How could you be this biblically illiterate? And to be elevated to, but hey, Bible says, it's the way it's going to be. 
The more literate, the better, evidently. So he says, he says, you've been criticized for that, Olstein. I have, I have, because I don't know. And then King says, the good news, right? See, but his good news, this good news that Olstein's talking about, is this feel-good gospel, without conviction of sin, with no emphasis on repentance or holy biblical living, and it's apart from the Jesus Christ of the Bible. He can talk about Jesus all he wants, which he doesn't probably do that a whole lot. But it's not the Jesus Christ of the Bible. So it goes on to say, Olsen says, yeah, but you know what? It's just in me. Whatever that means. And then King says, so it's self-fulfilling. Then he says, Billy Graham was here last Thursday. And Olsen said, oh yeah, I saw that. King says, might, might have been his last interview. Is he a hero to the evangelists? Olsen's response, he is a hero to us all. Well, he's not to me. And please, if, if you want to know about Billy Graham, just email me. I, I've done, in fact, I've done a whole teaching on him. Go and, and um, scroll through my teachings on Sermons Audio. There's about five pages of it. There's about 114 right now. Scroll through my teachings and you'll find the one on Billy Graham. I'm trying to, I'm trying to do one on all these. There's one on Rick Warren. There's one on Billy Graham. I did one recently on Catherine Kuhlman and Amy Simple McPherson and Benny Hinn. Um, just go through there. There's usually a PDF file connected with the sermon that you can download. And there's, there's links in there you can click into. There's this big, gigantic book if you want to know about Billy Graham's history, the documentation. Um, it's all referenced, everything. I try not to give opinions. Like, this interview is not my opinion. This is a transcript. This is black and white. Okay? So... He says he's a hero to us all. His life of integrity. He's not. As far as I'm concerned, there's no life of integrity. He's a compromiser. Compromising on so many different levels. And again, just listen to the, uh, the teaching on that. And look at the PDF file. And then Olsen says, somebody that can stick with it for that long. And just stick with his message. What I love about Dr. Graham is he stayed on course. No, he didn't. That's a lie, too. You know that when you went to his crusades, that if you were a Catholic, you went back to a Catholic church. That he had Catholic people on the podiums many, many times. And there's been a lot of messages I've heard from Billy Graham that sounded okay on the surface, but it's what he's also doing on the flip side that you're not seeing, that is well documented. That he's a 33rd degree Mason. That's another kind of big problem there. You know, how are you going to bow the knee to Baal and to Jesus Christ at the same time? I don't, I don't know how it's done. His stance on homosexuals, his quotes in regard to his homosexually friendly stance. Well, he, leaved, he left a lot to be desired. And then he goes on to say, he didn't get sidetracked. Another lie. This is Olsen talking about Billy Graham. That's what happens to so many people today. What, like you, Joel? And with your feel-good gospel of lies? All you've ever been is sidetracked. And then he said, it's a good lesson for me, a good example for me, to say, you know what, Joel, you may not, you may have a lot now, but I want to be here 40 years from now, sitting, sitting with you. Well, if he just keeps comprom- you know, compromising, his father, the devil, will reward him richly. We're not going to believe we've got another 40 years, as far as, before Jesus comes back and the tribulation starts to happen. But a guy like Joel is going to be one of the main guys that is going to usher 
the pseudo-Christian church right into the arms of the Antichrist, most likely underneath the banner of the Catholic Church. He's going to be He's going to be one of the main ones. Him and Rick Warren and Bill Hybels and these guys, this new guard that's taking place, the radical Pentecostals, combining with the Zionists and all these, these other denominations, they're all going to come together under, under the same banner. It's how you're going to have, this only way you're going to have a one world religion. It's the only way it can happen. So then, Larry King says, do you share Billy's beliefs of life after death in a sense of going somewhere? Olstein, I do, I do. We probably grin 90%. I do. I believe there's a heaven, and you know, afterwards there's, you know, a place called hell. This is the only time he's ever said anything like this. doesn't tell us what you're going to have to do to get there, or anything about it. Well, there's just this place called hell. It's about as, um, about as biblical as he gets. And I believe it's when we have a relationship with God and His Son Jesus, and that's what the Bible teaches us. What was that? Could you please elaborate on this? And then he says, I believe it. So that's the gospel. Well, that was pretty vague. Beyond vague. And again, I would ask him, please elaborate on this. Which he won't. He's not going to do that. And then Larry King. Is it hard to lead a Christian life? Austin, I don't think it's that hard. To me, it's fun. We have joy and happiness. Now, I'm not saying that the Bible says the joy of the Lord is your strength, okay? That's true. I'm not saying it can't be fun fellowshipping with other believers and these types of things, holy living. But this isn't what Joel's talking about, okay? He says, our family, I don't feel like that at all. I'm not trying to follow a set of rules and stuff. Oh, wow, I thought that's what the Bible kind of was. Kind of a big, you know, rule book. Huh. Kind of for daily living, you know, that type of thing. But see, Joe's not trying to follow a set of rules or stuff. He says, I'm just living my life. And if I could say, I wish he would have said, I'm just living my life footloose and fancy free. You know, kind of fun love and just kind of flitting through life. Not really, you know, wanting to offend nobody. Hmm. He says, I don't think it's hard. It's fun to me. We have joy, happiness. I'm not fun following a set of rules. Just living my life. Hmm. What's the Bible say? Well, the Bible says in John sixteen two, it says, "Yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think that the that he doeth God's service." Those days are coming. I mean, the Roman Catholics did it back in the Inquisition; they killed a lot of martyrs and stuff. When Jesus Christ got killed, I'm sure that those Pharisees and Sadducees thought that they were doing God's service, and the apostles, yeah. 2 Timothy 3.12 Yea, all they that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Oh, I'm sure that's the theme of Joel's message as we sit here today. He's preaching at Lakewood. I'm sure he's going to be preaching on that. John 15.20 Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. This is really an earmark of a Christian, if you think about it. Whom the Lord loveth, he also chasteneth. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, goodness, faith, temperance. Hmm. Holy Spirit lives inside you, convicts you of sin. These types of things. All they that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Well, if none of these things are happening to you as a Christian, well, you have to maybe want to re-examine things. Because you're probably not saved. 
I'm not saying you're saved by works. I'm saying there's evidence of things after you get saved. These are just earmarks of a Christian. 1 Peter 4, 12-19. Beloved, think not it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you. I wondered after I got saved why I was so incredibly miserable. Because God had to burn a lot of things out of me. Not saying I'm perfect or he's through or any stretch of the imagination there. But I thought it was strange. I couldn't understand why these... But see, I was never taught on this. The Baptists will teach about this. I will say that. I did learn this concept in the Baptist church. But it's in the Bible if you just read the Bible. And then it says, as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings. So this is actually a good thing. In God. This is the trial of our faith, which is more precious than gold according to God. Because you're partakers of Christ's sufferings. That when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. Blessed are ye when all men persecute and revile you for my sake, for great is your reward. That's what Jesus Christ said. When you're persecuted for Jesus Christ's sake and reviled, blessed are ye. Then it says, for great is your reward. That sounds like a good thing. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or a busybody in other men's matters. So if you're gonna if you're gonna suffer, do it for the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't suffer for these other things. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of the Lord. And if it first begin at us, what shall be the end thereof that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Wherefore let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. Matthew 24, 10, and 12, And there shall be many offended, this is really regarding the end times as well, And there shall be many offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. That's what the world is going to be like. Well, it's already happening, but... I mean, you, you notice how, a lot of times too, the ones that call themselves born-again Christians, how easily offended they are? That's the mark of a, of a kind of a little child. They're easily offended. Because of this, they're going to betray one another and hate one another. When things really start getting bad, particularly in America, you're going to really see the true color of people. And I believe really the true color of these so-called Christians really come to the surface. Because God is going to separate this all out, the sheep from the goats. And I'm not saying that that's all going to take place. I'm not going to say there's... But I'm saying that you're going to see a lot of true colors come out when it gets bad. Now, if we go further with this, because, according to Joe, it's just all about, you know, having fun, joy, not really following a set of rules and these types of things. Ecclesiastes 7, 2-6 says, quote, It is better to go to the house of mourning 
then to, then to the house of feasting. How many times have you ever heard a sermon preached on that? Oh, well that would drive the congregants, the parishioners, all these people away. We wouldn't make the money. Well, it's too bad, I'm sorry. But it says it's better to go to the house of mourning. And I don't mean like mourning with the sun coming up. Mourning like, you know, like the typical example you think of is like a funeral. It's better to go to the house of mourning than go to the house of feasting. For that is the end of all men. And the living will lay it to his heart. Sorrow is better than laughter. For by the sadness of the countenance, the heart is made better. This is one of the only ways you can get your heart improved. Is by the sadness of the countenance. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning. Did you know that? That's why a lot of times I've actually, you know, went to, uh, I actually encouraged myself to go to these things like funerals. Because the Bible says the heart of the wise is in the house of the morning. But the heart of fools is in the house of myrrh. Which means just like frivolous fun, myrrh. It is better to hear the rebuke of the wise than for a man to hear the song of fools. For as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of a fool. This is also vanity. Now, James 4, 8-10 through 10 says, Draw nigh to God, and He will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to heaviness. Could you imagine if, if Smiley Joel preached on this this morning? He, he'd probably lose half his congregation in one fell swoop. This isn't what we came here for. Pastor, we came here to be entertained, to have our, our flesh... See, and my people love to have it so. See, they deserve what they're getting. I hate, you know, I don't want to see them go to hell. But they really do deserve what they're getting. They're not reading their Bible. They don't even have the right Bible. Even if they had an NIV, they could figure this out. I'm sorry. It says, let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. That's what God says to do. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and He shall lift you up. This is why it's so important to humble ourselves in the sight of God and He shall lift us up. I recommend when you pray, one, I mean, if you can do it once a day, get on your knees before the Lord. That's the, probably the best way I know of to humble. Now, don't do it in a false pretense. Like, oh, I'll go, get on my knees. I'll go through the motions like the Catholics do or whatever. Or, or they do for Allah. You know, the Muslims do when they bow to Mecca in His honor. I mean, you know, sincerely. You're, you're humbling yourself before the Lord. It says if you humble yourselves before the Lord, He shall lift you up. Proverbs 3.12 You will say something. Oh. And Doug just brought up a good point. When you have these preachers out there that can go from the pulpit every week and preach on this stuff, and they're taking these people to hell, and they have no, they have no conviction whatsoever. They don't think they're doing anything wrong. They're that delusional. And what that tells me, most likely, is that their consciences have been seared with a hot iron, according to 1 Timothy 4.1. 
which is in regard to the end times. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, which is what we're talking about today. And then it says, having their consciences seared with a hot iron. These people that can do this, this particularly the preachers, they're of their father the devil. Their consciences have been seared with a hot iron. Now, if we go for now, I pray to God if this be possible, some of these guys would actually wake up and see the light. I, I really do. But you know, if they did, they'd lose their churches overnight. They, they're, they're, people aren't going to gravitate to teaching and preaching like this. They're just not going to do it. The Bible says in Proverbs three twelve, "For whom the Lord loveth, He correcteth." Even as a father, the son in whom he delighteth. See, that's what God promises to do. He does it because he does love us. He loves us enough to discipline us. Hebrews 12.6 says, For whom the loveth, for whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as, with sons. For what son is he whom the, the father chasteneth not? Why? The thing you have to ask yourself is why, if... Joel Osteen is a true born-again Christian, just looking at the little bit we've looked at so far, why isn't he being chastened of God? Why is his ministry getting bigger and bigger and bigger? Why is his message just staying as lukewarm as ever? If he is if he's of God, God promises, if he's a born-again Christian, God promises he will chasten him. I don't see any of that on any of these ministers. No, they glory in their shame. That's what they're doing. How could they be saved then? Then it says, if you endure chastening, God deal with you as with sons. Uh, then it goes on to say, but if you be without chastisement, if you're not getting punished, whereof all are partakers, then you're bastards and not sons. Bastard illegitimate son. So I think that's pretty telling. Let's go further with the article. Uh, then... Larry King says, but you have rules, don't you? In other words, rule like the rule book of the Bible. You know, because Olstein had just said, I'd try not to follow a set of rules and stuff. Boy, that was right down the line. You know. And then Olstein responds by, he says, we do have rules. Uh, but he just said, I try not to follow a set of rules. Now the Bible says a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. This is one double-minded man. This is one double-minded dude, is all I can say. We do have rules, but the main rule, to me, is to honor God with your life. Well, you're not even remotely doing that. What you're doing is an affront, an abomination in the sight of God. This interview is just evidence of that. Then he says to live a life of integrity. Not doing that either, Joel. Not to be selfish. Well, Joel, you know what? You're so selfish, you won't even give out the true gospel. You could care less if all these people go to hell, which is where you're going. That's how selfish you are. You know to help others. But that's really the essence of the Christian faith. What a stinking liar. Then, Larry King says, that we live in deeds. Evidently, the, the deeds of doing good. And then Olsten says, classic, I don't know. What do you mean by that? King says, because we've had ministries, ministers who have said, your record don't count. You either believe in Christ or you don't. If you believe in Christ, 
you are going to heaven. And if you don't, no matter what you've done in your life, you ain't. That's what Larry King says. Okay? Which is probably much more biblically correct than anything Olsten's said so far. He's just saying that other ministers have said this. Simplifying it, obviously. And then Olstein says, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> in other words, about believing on Jesus Christ, you know, that's, that's the main thing, if you're going to heaven or hell. He says, well, yeah, I don't know. Which is well put, well put. And then he says, there's probably a balance between. What, a balance between believing in Christ and not? Is that like purgatory? What are we talking about here? He says, I believe you have to know Christ, but I think that if you know Christ, if you're a believer in God, you're going to have some good works. What does that have to do with anything? This is All this is is evasive, spineless tactics. This man doesn't even, he doesn't even, ha he wasn't even ever born with a backbone, I don't think. He's like a jellyfish. And then he goes on to say, I think it's a cop-out to say I'm a Christian, but I don't ever do anything. So what he tries to do here is switch it away from believing on Christ exclusively as far as being saved, to saying, switching this to an argument about good works. That you're a Christian, you're going to have good works. That's really the, the well yeah, that's, that is part of the evidence. Okay, but most of these people think their good works are what's going to get them to heaven. Okay? So he, he... That's about, you know, he's trying to be biblical, but he just can't be. And then Larry King says, what if you're Jewish or Muslim, and you don't accept Christ at all? I think that's good. He's trying to put him in a corner. If you're, if you're a man of God or a woman, and, and, and you can't answer these types of questions, you know, you need to really rethink things. So what if, what if you're a Jew or a Muslim and you don't accept Christ at all? That King says. Well, Olsten says, you know, I'm very careful about saying who would and who wouldn't go to heaven. Oh, he's very careful. Well, the Bible's not. The Bible's very clear. But not old Joel, no. And then he says, I don't know. <laughs> How many times has he said, I don't know so far? I, I, I should have went out of meter. What an apostate heretic he is. I mean, again, maybe Joel needs to read John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You know, all these other verses that we had talked about, Romans 10, 9, and 10, You know, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Understanding that we are a sinner and God has paid our sin debt. For you are saved by grace through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. You know, all you got to do is read the Bible. That's it. I mean, it's, it's not that hard. And then King goes on to say, if you, believe, if you believe you have to believe in Christ, they're wrong, aren't they? So, if you believe you have to believe in Christ... They're wrong, aren't they? In other words, I, I guess he's... It sounds to me he's trying to get Joel to align with, I'm sure, King's belief that, you know what? This whole thing about this ex exclusivity through Jesus Christ, you know, they're wrong, aren't they? He's trying to get Joel to actually come over now to the secular viewpoint. Which, hey, you know, he's a devil. He's just trying to get, get in there. I don't blame him for what he's trying to do. I mean, this guy's giving him every opportunity. You know? 
See, this is the whole point of the secular interview that we're listening to. To get Joel to this point where we can pin him in a corner and say, well, you know what? You really don't have to believe in Christ. We're all good people. We're all going you know, to heaven, whether you're Jew, Muslim, atheist, or whatever. We're all going there. But I, I think that you know my way to do it is being a Christian. But if you want to be a Muslim or Hindu, you know that's the way you choose. It's not my heart to judge. That's basically what Joel's saying. So King's trying to pin him down by asking him this question. Let's see what Joel says. Olstein responds, Well, I don't know. <laughs> Could you have expected anything different? So he doesn't know. He doesn't really know, you know, if he doesn't really know anything. I mean, for a guy with a 60,000 seat church, 30,000 member congregation, he doesn't know very much. And yet, he is supposedly the overseer and the pastor of this big gigantic church, wrote all these books, but he don't know. He Is this just the, the height of folly? Here's what I know, Joe. Joel, sorry. The Bible says, if you continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Okay? He doesn't understand that you have to continue in the word of God. This is all Joel's opinion. This is like, when you go to his church, it's like, you know, religion by Joel. He has his own religion. If you really think about it, and he has all these followers. Because what he's, he's not a Christian. He's some kind of pseudo-religious New Age mumbo-jumbo. He's got his own cult, as far as I'm concerned. Oh, I'm sure the people that go to Lakewood would take issue with me. Well, then just please prove all the stuff that I'm saying wrong. Please undo the quotes that have already come out of his mouth. Please undo the fact that when we compare this to the Bible, the Bible clearly exposes him as a charlatan, as a heretic. The Bible says that if Satan can be transformed into an angel of light, it's no marvel that his ministers can be transformed into ministers of righteousness, they that appear to be ministers of righteousness. Well, he's of his father the devil, and of his works he is doing. So he says, he says uh, well, I don't know. If I believe they're wrong, well, he says, well, I don't know if I believe they're wrong. In other words, people that say, you know, you got to believe in Christ in order to go to heaven. I believe, here's what the Bible teaches, and from the Christian faith, this is what I believe. What? what I, I'm kind of very, very vague. Everything's vague, which is on purpose. But I just think that only God will judge a person's heart. Well, yeah, God will judge a person's heart. That's true. Then he says, I spent a lot of time in India with my father. Now, get this. This is just unbelievable. He says, I don't know all about their religion, meaning Hinduism, but I know they love God. Well, my question is, which one? Is it Shiva? That's, the, that's their main deity, Shiva, who's the god of destruction. And then he has a daughter named Kali, who's the god of death. Now, I'm not making this up. They've got literally over a million gods in their pantheon. You know, one of the most popular gods in India is the god of dung. They have a temple. I saw a documentary on this. They have a temple where they, they go and they, they make offerings to the god of dung. And they were outside this temple. They were showing this interview. I couldn't even watch it. They were hacking off a goat's head. 
they had this goat out there, and they were doing a sacrifice of the goat, and they took this machete, and they were trying to chop this live goat up right there. I don't like watching that, that kind of stuff. This was like on, I don't know, it was just some documentary. Well, it was on PBS or something, I don't know. A long time ago I saw this. And the, the reporters were outside this temple, and it stunk so bad. And I'm talking, they were a good hundred yards from the temple, look like. It stunk so bad, they were all wearing gas masks, the reporters. To even go in, they could barely even go in with gas masks, because they would actually bring your, your offers of feces into the temple. With like the go This is the kind of depravity that Hinduism operates in. I've had, my mom has a friend that she's Mrs. Queen Yoga Guru, whatever, and she's real, you know, spiritual and a strict vegan. And she went over there, and when she came back, my dad asked her about it, and he said, I'd never heard her cuss in my life, but her cuss words were of the highest order in regard to what she experienced in India, with the way they treat women, with the filth, with the disgustingness of it. But oh, I thought she was going over there to get in touch with her inner child. And to sit in the lotus position and spit marbles all day long. Well, it didn't work too good, I guess. Because she got really highly offended. Well, they have their old pantheon over. That is one of the most depraved religions that there is. It really is. I'm not, I'm, I want them to go to heaven. I don't want them to go to hell. I'm just stating facts here. But good old Joel says, but I know they love God. You don't know nothing, Joel. There's not a whole lot you know. I know one thing. You're going to hell if you don't repent. And so is your congregation. Because if they're following you, if the blind leadeth the, the blind, they both fall into a ditch and die. Essentially. Then he goes on to say, he says, but I know they love God, and I don't know. Now again, we've got the I don't, umpteen I don't know. I've seen their sincerity. Oh, that's, there we go, their sincerity. Isn't that special? You know, there's that expression, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. And that's really true. I mean, I know that's not in the Bible, but in essence it is in the Bible, in essence, because the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Where, well, where does it indicate that? Well, if you look at Proverbs 14.12 and 16.25, there is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. That's exactly a, a very uh, similar thing. And that's your heart. Your heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Jeremiah 17, 9. He who trusteth in his own heart is a fool. So if you go to Joel's church, oh, I just, I experienced something here I've never experienced before. I have the goosebumps and, and I just feel so good. And he makes me feel so... You're going by your heart. You're not going by your Bible. He who trusteth in his own heart is a fool. That's what the Bible says. Where does it say that? Proverbs 28, 26. So, yeah, we've got a lot of things here. Now, if we go further with this, because this particular transcript didn't give the full interview. So maybe some are thinking, well, maybe Larry called Joel Olstein flat-footed. Let's give him the benefit of the doubt. Okay, Maybe Olstein wasn't prepared. If Olstein had only been given another chance to really testify of the redemptive work of Jesus Christ, he'd get it all straightened out, right? Well, Olstein did get another chance during the same interview. After Larry King opened the phone lines, a concerned Christian asked Joel to clarify his previous statement, which we just viewed. Again, Olsten could easily clear these things up. 
I'm going to go ahead and end this part of the part one and go to part two right now, where we'll pick this up so that this doesn't go over hopefully an hour and 15 minutes or 20 minutes or whatever, which is, people ask me about this because of the CD issue. If they want to put this on a CD, they're usually like 80 minutes long. So I'm going to go ahead and close this part out and we'll go to part two right now.